0: Hello and welcome to the Tech Dirt podcast. I'm Mike Masnick.
1: The world is increasingly technological, so we have better get with all the core, bringing precision to critical digital journalism with the singular vision and Monaco. Stopping the copyright police for pulling the wall on us. Faiting and taking on all the to hate control. Document the way that they aim to take control. Sutilize and do their lies and make them fall. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get To grab a shovel and dig up the tech. Dirt. If we don't stand up to them, someone will get To grab a shovel and dig up the tech.
0: Dirt. Software patents have been, well, a hot topic in the tech world for the past couple of decades. Uh, for many years, in the run-up of the personal computer era, Uh, most people considered software to actually be unpatentable. Bill Gates once famously declared if people had understood how patents would be granted when most of today's ideas were invented and had taken out patents, the industry would be at a complete standstill today. Of course, that didn't stop Bill Gates and Microsoft from getting lots and lots of software patents later on. In 1998, um, much of this changed, this view that, that software was unpatentable when the Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit, commonly referred to as CAFC, uh, basically flung open the doors on patenting software and business models with the decision in the State Street Bank case, effectively overturning what many had considered to be settled law on the matter. This opened the floodgates for a number of reasons, in part because of the lack of existing patents in the space, meaning that the prior art that the Patent Office usually looked at was fairly limited because they often mostly focus on previous patents, uh, even for really obvious and well-known ideas. Either way, that resulted in the past couple of decades of patent trolls and patent thickets and the general mess that basically everyone in the tech space has recognized as being hugely problematic. Partly because of this mess, the Supreme Court finally started paying attention to the patent space after ignoring it for many decades and just leaving it to CAFC. In a series of rulings over really the past 15 years, the Supreme Court has been slowly overturning and limiting various CAFC rulings uh, over and over again. Um, This included rejecting medical diagnostic patents and gene patents. But when it came to software patents, the Supreme Court seemed to tap dance around the issue. Uh, In the first big test, Uh, known as the Bilski case, the Supreme Court found a way to rule narrowly and avoid the larger and more important question over software patents, only to have it bounce back a few years later in the Alice v. CLS Bank case. In that ruling, back in 2014, the Supreme Court did finally say that if a patent claim does no more than require a generic computer to perform generic computer functions, it's not patentable. At the time, uh, we pointed out, and many others did as well, that basically all software requires generic computers to perform generic computer functions. But the Supreme Court insisted that there must be lots of software that didn't do that, and that software would still be patentable. In the intervening two-plus years, uh, various courts and the patent office have used the Alice ruling to invalidate lots and lots of bad and overly broad software and business method patents. But patent lawyers and patent trolls keep coming up with ways to get around it, and there's been some evidence of software patents creeping back up again. Uh, However, recently, in a new ruling by the federal circuit, uh, it rejected some patents from what many consider to be the world's largest patent troll, the company Intellectual Ventures, in a case that it brought against uh, the antivirus company Symantec and Trend Micro over um, uh, a set of three pretty broad patents. Um, But the part that has everyone talking is not the uh, official decision rejecting those three patents or, or invalidating those three patents, but actually a concurring opinion written by CAF judge Haldane Mayer saying that everyone should just finally admit that under the Alice decision, software is not patentable at all, and going on and arguing for many reasons why software shouldn't be considered patent eligible at all. He also argued in a fairly interesting way that Uh, these patents in particular shouldn't have been issued for a different reason, which is that the uh, First Amendment actually should have blocked all three of these patents. So uh, this is potentially a big deal, though as a concurring opinion, it has no direct precedential value, but uh, still it has lots of people talking and we want to talk about it. And so here to discuss it as one of our usual co-hosts who also happened to I have once existed as a patent lawyer and that is Hirsch ready. So welcome, Hirsch. <laughs> Hey Mike.
1: So uh, this is uh, obviously a topic that's near and dear to my heart. <laughs> yeah, um, but probably not in the way that most listeners will uh, imagine. I'm not. I'm not a
0: huge fan of patents. But... Yeah, you were. You were one of the anti-patent patent lawyers.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the thing I always say is, you know, if this line of work dries up, we'll find something else to do. It'll be, <laughs> yeah. it'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about the uh, First Amendment issue that uh, Judge Mayer raised because I think that's that's like a very interesting place to start. Unless you want to. Start somewhere else. Yeah,
0: no, no. The First Amendment one yeah. is interesting. It's it's like a really different argument. I, I think it's one that people hadn't really thought about at all. Uh, you know, for, for sort of the patent issue. So, you, do you want to describe it? You want me to take the first shot at it? Yeah, you go ahead. And take the first shot. At it. Okay. So, so you know, the the basic argument here was that, and this it's it's specific. It's not the First Amendment argument isn't for for all patents, but it is an argument that could be used against a lot of patents. And and part of his argument um was basically that these patents in particular and it's three patents in this particular case um involved you know some some things that kind of uh scanned or would block certain information on the internet. And so his argument is that um that could potentially block free and open speech on the internet and therefore would represent a first amendment issue. So I think um Let's, let's let's move his argument into sort of
1: a, a less of a hypothetical okay. or a, and, and put it into sort of an analogy that people might understand better like so for example if someone had a patent, on uh on con- that that read on say popular social media websites right mm-hmm. and they could essentially extract a license from social media websites because they have this patent which everyone needs to use to do social media in the year 2025 say. right right and if they are le- uh, able to ask for this this um, license fee with the threat that they can just shut down your website if, if you don't pay the fee Then essentially what they have is the ability to control speech on you, on your platforms, because they can say, I'm not going to give you the license if you, you know, say speech that is insulting to, you know, so-and-so candidate that I support or something like that, right? I mean, they're free to do whatever they want. They're the the holders of the the patent rights. And I think that... If you look at it from that perspective it looks so frightening like how could anyone agree (laughs) with giving one guy uh the power to sort of control speech on on you know perhaps what will be the sort of the biggest communication networks in the future right if you look at it from that point of view it seems almost ludicrous that we would do that right we would just we wouldn't do that it would be like we don't let the government do that for for god's sake right so why would we let an individual do that via a patent via a patent right and and Patents are supposed to be this very careful balance between giving somebody some controlled rights so they can extract some value from their invention, uh, not make them sort of president of all communication in the U.S. because they scribbled something and mailed it to the USPTO, right? And that, I think when you talk to patent absolutists, they seem to lose that sort of... uh, and understanding that there's a balance here to be struck between society and individual. <laughs> and it's not just for yeah. patents, right? It happens in the copyright realm as well, right? Sure. Where where someone thinks that, you know... People fail to understand that, like, we've created these rules to benefit society. not It's not because uh, we think somebody who wrote a patent uh, is... Is, is somehow right, right. Deserving mean, of some huge uh, it, it, pay, yeah. payback.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you go back to the sort of constitutional underpinnings, right? It's to promote the progress, exactly. you know, for for the benefit of, and not bec- to create a, a particular property right that belongs to the creator of those things. And, mm-hmm. and that's that's a key <laughs> bit of information that seems to get lost in a lot of these discussions. And
1: yeah. and I'm not and I'm not necessarily super fond of going back to the Constitution and saying like, you know, let's treat the Constitution sure. like it's immutable. Law, right? Like, I mean, not immutable law. It's obviously law, but like, like it's immutable (laughs) wisdom, right? Sure, sure. That that. Oh, we, you know, somehow we have to search amongst these words, these sentences, to find (laughs) what would be the most efficient uh, economic arrangement today. Like, that's that's nonsense. Like, we should figure out for the conditions now what works and do what's necessary. Um, But by sort of either argument, I think sort of the the First Amendment issues that Judge Mayer raised are 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 valid because their first amendment happens to be in the constitution right so even if you wanted to be a strict constitutionalist (laughs) uh, you know it's there the supports there i think i think the other thing that's like super interesting to me Mm -hmm. about judge mayor bringing up this issue and also the other issues about patentability which we'll get into later is the fact that he is uh uh, a circuit of appeals federal circuit judge right court of appeals federal circuit judge and 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 you want to say something about sort sort of what's unique about this
0: court and why yeah. it's it's such a big deal? Yeah, sure. So, and and we've written about this a bunch. If you, if you want to, and if you're unaware and you haven't seen it, like go do a search on Tectroid on on CAFC and and you'll see the history there. But the, the CAFC is basically the only. Court. So, so for people who don't know, right? The structure of the judicial system in the U.S. is you have district courts, which are local districts, uh, and that's where you know the 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 first round of, of cases are heard, and then you oh, can federal appeal, cases, yeah. federal cases. Yeah, mm-hmm. I should be clear. Sorry, the federal federal judicial system, um, and you know that's where the first round of cases are heard, and uh, and then after that you can appeal. You can appeal to a circuit court, which are um, in, in regions, sort of larger regions. So, like you know, we're here in California, which is covered by the Ninth Circuit. And the Second Circuit is you know covers New York and, and other areas. So there's like all different circuits that cover uh, you know a bunch of different district courts. And so the appeals go up regionally, and then usually the way, the way it works, like in terms of like getting cases to the su- Supreme Court, which is you know the third uh, rung, is you you can you know, after an appeals court ruling is made, you can appeal to the Supreme Court where you sort of, you you ask uh, the Supreme Court to take the case. It doesn't have to, and in fact, it doesn't take very many cases. It takes a very, very small number of them. But one of the things that the, the Supreme Court often looks for is what's called a circuit split, where you have kind of the same issue or the exact same issue that were decided in two separate circuits or multiple circuits and, and got different results. And that's kind of the nice thing of having these different circuits is you have sort of different, you know, different ideas and different things apply in different circuits.
1: But it, it's nice in some ways. It can be bad in other sure, ways. Sure, sure. Because if you're a business and you're looking for sort of a uniform uniform treatment of something like, say, a labor law, it's very right. complicated for your national organization if you have to do different procedures and policies. And,
0: yeah, and, 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 and that's and true. And, but, you know, but, but to, to a certain extent, like, that's often where the Supreme Court comes in and kind of smooth things out. But, but yes, that's, that's, that's a really good point. But then, um, because there was concern... Um, you know, in sort of like the '70s, and uh, or um, was it the '70s? Now I'm blanking, but it, there were there were concerns um, way back when <laughs> of of sort of uh, patent uh, jurisdiction shopping, where people would kind of rush to certain courthouses that they thought were really favorable for patents, and um and that would create you know sort of messed up law, or or so the thinking went, and so they created this special circuit called the Federal Circuit, um, which is unique among the circuits in that uh, it's not regionally based like every one of the other circuit courts. And any case that is a patent case automatically gets appealed to the federal circuit so no matter it, where it where it their jurisdiction to. is sub, uh, based on the uh the subject matter subject matter rather than geography like every other case basically the federal circuit has a couple other things that it covers but but you know primarily does patent stuff and then you know historically <laughs> there are a couple of oddities in here including that like the first chief judge of the caf was the guy who wrote the 1956 Patent Act, and was a patent lawyer, and so you know had a very very strong pro patents and pro patent expansion viewpoint, <laughs> and and you know so the court initially had a few of these um, people who came from the patent space, and then of course if you're sitting there and all you're hearing are patent cases and all you're dealing with are patent lawyers over and over again, you get this viewpoint of many patent lawyers, not everyone, like we have some like you, Hirsch, who recognize the problem of patent systems, but people who made their living off of, you know, uh, being patent lawyers often think patents are great and more patents are better. Um, and so that was, and it's, I think it's
1: important to point point that out, right? Because it's, it's a very human nature thing. Oh yeah. If you start out as a patent lawyer and you made all your whole skill set is patents and then you go and you become a judge and there you, all you see is patent cases. You don't want to believe that patents are just garbage in the area, (laughs) Right. right? Because it kind of makes your life meaningless. Um, and, and it's, and you know, despite that, it doesn't, it say something if despite that (laughs) <laughs> patent lawyers, a lot of patent lawyers go, this is garbage, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, there, I, I think that really says something. Um, because generally like, let's say we, we take something else that's a lot of nonsense, like acupuncture, right? <laughs> like it, it uh, maybe let's not say that.
0: I was going to say, wait, wait. who okay. says it's nonsense? <laughs> oh, okay, but let's, let's,
1: let's, let's but that's, I guess that's controversial. Let's, what's something that's definitely nonsense? Um, snake oil, right? Just okay. go with Snake oil. Right? If you're a snake oil salesman, right? Like, how many snake oil salesmen are going to stand up and say, this snake oil just doesn't work, right? It's, right. it's not really in their nature. So I think it's, it's, it's quite, it, it's, it's quite extraordinary that I, I think that, um, in the federal circuit, we've had at least a few judges that kind of stand up from time to time and, and kind of turn the clock the other direction. And I think...
0: Yeah, but it's it's been really rare. I mean, it, you know, it's been over, over yeah. and over again. I mean, like, so this is the thing, and some of it I described in the beginning, which is that, you know, the the expansion of, of, of patent subject matter has been like, that's just Cafc over and over again, saying, "Oh yeah, of course this is patentable. Oh yeah, of course it's patentable." I mean, the the that guy who was the very first chief judge of the of of Cafc at one point. I forget the exact quote. He said something basically, "Anything made by man under the sun is patentable." And you're like, "No, that's actually not what it's yeah. you know." And and it's usually the Supreme Court
1: that's kind of you know slapping him down and telling him to reform. Right.
0: And stuff. and, and the, but the problem was like the Supreme Court actually basically ignored it for for the longest time. The Supreme Court. Viewed sort of patents as sort of you know petty commercial matters, and and they were you know focused on big issues, you know big social issues of the day, and so they didn't care about sort of commercial disputes, and so that's that really gave you know CAF, you know uh, you know ten or fifteen years of sort of free, free rain, reign where they basically just rewrote the the entire patent system, you know without you know without most people realizing it, and it was finally in sort of the the early to mid 2000s, that the Supreme Court started to wake up and started to take patent cases and then every single one basically slapped down the CAF and and sometimes brutally. I mean, there were some some recent decisions even where, you know, they just, uh, you know, there was a ruling and I'm forgetting exactly which case but maybe it's the Octane case, um, where uh, Justice Sotomayor basically says, I don't think the CAF justices or judges uh, understand patent law. <laughs> it's like these are the judges who are making all the decisions on patent law, and and the Supreme Court is saying that, that you don't you don't even understand the well, basics of patent I, law. I think it's 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 like we were saying. You
1: know, I think we've been sort of. Uh, I mean, we've we've covered this, which is that you know it's not that they don't understand patent law. It's that I think they understand patent law quite well. I think what they don't appreciate is the balancing act and what the costs are and i think they only see the benefits i mean somebody had told me a story uh, and maybe we'll get to talking about the eastern district of texas but about how certain judges there the entire prestige of that town the eastern district of texas is a town that everyone brings uh, patent cases to for reasons uh, i don't know if it's worth going into but and that entire town that's the industry patent litigation and so the restaurants are filled with patent lawyers coming from fancy places and the local circuit of you know the lawyers there on the bench they're like you know unlike most small towns you know they are doing like you know a lot of services for these out-of-town law firms right and yeah uh, the hotels are are filled with lawyers and the whole town is so happy right but it's not the job of our patent system to create sort of a small town <laughs> sort of circus for for these guys to like have a booming economy, right? Like because yeah. everyone else is suffering over that. And it's kind of the same thing. I feel like patent law as a legal profession has not only grown in prestige within law firms, but just sort of as a career is is, is a fantastic career for someone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the way that this, this system has, has sort of metastasized. Um, and and just kind of grown across the economy and it's fantastic for for patent judges and for for patent lawyers for people who teach patent law but but uh, that's not the purpose of the patent system so it it, it kind of looks like this huge expansion of um of uh, prosperity right like to the yeah. patent lawyers because oh look at our patent law firm it's growing so big look at our lobby now these amazing tvs we just installed like you know <laughs> what i mean like it, right. it's, it but it's just it's just like nonsense uh they're yeah. kind of growing it on the back of the rest of the economy and what's the cost to the rest of the economy
0: um, so, so that that's one aspect of it. So, so but mm-hmm. I mean, just to to bring yeah. that back around, like that that's why this this concurring opinion by Judge Mayer is so important. Like it's, just the it's fact that it, it, it came out of CAFC. I mean, you know, just over and over and over again. You know, they've been expansionary and supportive of software patents and just not understanding the issues. Like over and over again, sort of a lot of these issues have been raised before CAFC and and they just don't seem to get it. Historically, so what, is this? so I don't know anything about Judge Mayer. So maybe you can
1: educate me and maybe you don't have the answer, but where did he come from? And (laughs) what's his background? Because one thing is like, I'm pretty anti-patent, but I was also a programmer for 15 years before. So stuff looked pretty nonsense to me right when I started studying it in law school. Yeah. Um, and then getting into and reading cases that it became looked more and more like nonsense and and uh you know occasionally you'll find a judge that's that that looks at it that it's like nonsense like so for example in the google versus oracle case right like the judge there he was like pretty skeptical right mm-hmm. about the patent claims and he actually studied java and learned how to program to sort of understand the case better um and and those kinds of judges are few and far between right yeah uh, so i'm really my I'm, my real curiosity is 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 judge Mayer is he like a programmer or or does he have kids that are programmers or like where, how does he have this like sensitivity to sort of the programmer's point of view? Um, it's, it's, I think it's pretty extraordinary the the, the things he says in his opinion, which we'll get into um, yeah. outside, outside the first amendment stuff are just, it's almost like, um, uh, it's almost like he's a programmer the things he says yeah. or that he reads hacker news or that he <laughs> reads reddit our programming you know what I mean like, I
0: mean you know he does he does cite a bunch he cites like EFF briefs and mm-hmm. public knowledge and um, and Mark Lemley briefs and, and like a bunch of people like that so clearly he's been reading but, up on this stuff but but
1: but reading it is different like yeah, see, sure I, I feel like someone who comes from an think about let's say he wasn't a programmer. Right. Yeah. And now we're doing kind of this soap opera style like analysis. So like, I don't know how interesting <laughs> he's, he's, it is. Take, so, yeah,
0: well, but he's, but he's, he's, he does not appear to have been a programmer. So, um, oh, you yeah. have his bio. So, in front so of uh, yeah, I, I pulled up his bio and I hadn't looked at it before. Um, but, but, but think about it. Yeah. He's in this institution that's, you know, for the most part,
1: looks at patents in this very conventional way. Yeah. Right. Well, and, here, here's the thing. Here's mm-hmm. the
0: amazing thing. He's been on the federal circuit since 1987. Wow. So, I mean, he's been there through all of this, basically. I, I'm wondering, did he just have a change of heart? I, 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 it must be. It must be. It actually says, let's see. Oh, my gosh. Wait. Okay. So I missed this. He he served as chief judge of the federal circuit from 97 to 2004. That was, you know, that covers the State Street Bank case. And that covers, like, the wow. the biggest expansion of, of patentability you know, stuff. I, I wonder if... Here's
1: here's one situation in which an institution sort of wakes up to its abuse. If the institution is confronted by a huge groundswell of opposition, right, they will have to question their sort of uh, reality, right, and the way yeah. they're looking at things. If politically the winds start blowing really strongly against them, because if they don't self-correct the external way of correction is a huge slap down and i'm not saying abolishment of the court because that would take a you know huge action of 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 congress and that's not going to happen but but you know there's other ways of the supreme court slapping them down right and that are stiffer than what's been done and uh i'm wondering if this is just like preemptive it's it's then you know it's more like look we better recognize this silicon valley is complaining this is a huge issue these patent cases that we are saying that are coming up are more and more ludicrous right I mean
0: it's- yeah, I don't know, but he he clearly got religion. <laughs> so, so so I mean, so let's let's discuss some of some of yeah. that. Like moving on from the first amendment thing. So so just and just to close out the discussion on the First Amendment, you know w- w- I'll just give one quote from from the, the a short quote. It, it, he goes into it in pretty great detail, but basically arguing that you know if if the patents could be used to sort of block speech, that's a problem and and basically says and and actually compares using the First Amendment, and and section 101 uh, referencing the, the first amendment as sort of a, a um similar thing to like fair use being a a valve on copyright law that that protects free speech. So he said, uh, section 101, which is the question of whether or not uh, something is patent eligible, um, if properly applied, can preserve the internet's open architecture and weed out those patents that chill political expression and impermissibly obstruct the marketplace of ideas. So I mean, just a, a straight up like, you know, you shouldn't be able to get a patent on something that could then be used to chill uh, chill mm-hmm. free speech. That's pretty pretty interesting, pretty powerful, um, and, yeah, and, and different. It's, I
1: wonder <laughs> if he's if he's is he trying to talk to the Supreme Court there, or is he trying to talk to Congress there? <laughs> because I, because we could certainly I I can't see how you would introduce a fair use type exception to well, patent not... law without an act of Congress. I know he's basically saying we need it. And well, I, I think
0: he's not saying that. He's saying he's basically saying it's there already. He's saying that Section 101, mm-hmm. if properly applied, which is basically saying that no, there no, no, are but, exceptions in there already to no, protect no, no, but, free
1: speech. No, but what he's implying there is what he's saying is if we use that sort of abstract stuff cannot be patented uh, uh, rule, that will be enough to protect free speech. I don't think I agree with him. And the reason I don't agree with him is you could have a First Amendment issue if the patent that is contr- that is potentially chilling communication is a, a, a patentable sort of hardware thing, right? Someone could patent their sort of radio transmitter that is absolutely necessary for wireless communication in the year 2020. That's clearly gonna be patentable. It has nothing to do with this abstract stuff, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Let's call it the hyperwave radio, some new, you know, s- subspace sure. communicator, okay. right? And in that case, uh, it has not—it's clearly patent, patentable subject matter, but it still requires some kind of a uh, exception for First Amendment reasons, right? And and there's no fair fair use, you know, theory or, or or sort of legal doctrine that would uh, that would under 101 allow you to do that. Um, well, I, th- I think he's
0: claiming that there is, but. Ah. I, I think he's more claiming that it's just that the, it the, uh, it, it's he says here he says here section 101 creates a patent free zone and places within it the indispensable instruments of social uh, economic and scientific endeavor he's saying it's in there already
1: yeah but those things are enumerated dude it's not like
0: you know, he, <laughs> he numers, you know these mathematical formula blah 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 right like
1: it's clearly it, it doesn't have to do what is enumerated as unpatentable subject matter has to do with what the subject matter is and not the effect that subject matter he's, has he's, on he's he's
0: arguing point. something different he's he's disagreeing he, that's not the argument he's making you're you're making a good point uh, and that that you know if again this is this is a concurring opinion it has no precedential value but, directly but we promised
1: each other at the beginning of this podcast before we went on the air that we would yeah. not argue the sort of the nitty gritty of <laughs> sure, sure, sure kind of text sure. of the patent laws because I think that's going to be less interesting. To yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's go on to what. Okay, you were okay. gonna okay. And, and
0: we have yeah, we, we're we're already like twenty five minutes into this and we haven't even gotten to like the, the meat of <laughs> the, the, the of the argument, which is which is you know he basically I mean it's it's a really you know easy to read uh, decision too or, or opinion also it's it's not you know it, it he doesn't. The, 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 the you know official majority opinion is a little bit wonky, but his concurring opinion is, is pretty plain English. And he basically says in it like, look, we should admit flat out that under the Alice ruling, software is not patentable. And it's just like, let's just admit that, let's make that clear. And then that would clear a whole bunch of issues and make things so much easier. Uh, and so that's a good start. But then he goes into all the reasons why and why it makes sense That software isn't patentable he's not whining about the alice decision he's basically saying like okay alice is right and we should admit that software is not patentable and so he starts out by by saying that like uh software and and sort of the growth of technology and internet stuff has thrived despite patents not because of them which is kind of revolutionary for a a a who was a chief judge that uh, you just
1: told me during the 2000s like my yes. God, that's right. extraordinary.
0: I mean, and, and he, he cites a bunch of people and cites EFF and Lemley and, 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 and Wendy Seltzer and, and all these other people who've been saying this for years, but, you know, who were sort of decried by, by you know, the patent bar as these, you know, crazy outsiders. Uh, and And... And, but is, is saying that, you know, that, that all this stuff and this is the stuff that like, you know, actual programmers like, you know, you and, and, and techie, you know, any techies around here has always said like, you know, the patents get in the way. They don't help. Innovation. But here, you know, was here you have a calf judge uh, and former chief judge actually I- admitting that.
1: So that that was sort he, of he's a... gonna you know, he's gonna have like this cult following of programmers <laughs> oh. who are like
0: Judge Mayor, Judge Mayor. <laughs> like, hey. I, I think <laughs> I think you may be overestimating <laughs> me. Yeah, most programmers
1: probably don't read um these kinds of opinions, yeah. But um, so you know, certainly, w- when I posted it on Facebook, because I posted the the opinion on Facebook, the number of programmers that were like, "Oh man, that's so awesome!" Like, I can't believe a judge said that. Finally, like there was like this groundswell of kind of like relief, almost, right? Yeah, like, where people were like, um, "You know, this is this is so cool." Um, yeah. but, but so, go ahead. You want to go to the next it, point?
0: Yeah. So I, I was going to say. So that was sort of his introductory uh, part. Yeah. But the the then he goes into. Um, Basically, he comes up with four reasons why um, software patents are bad. And and are you know, detailed reasons are the kinds of things that we talk about all the time, but you don't expect from yeah. From, don't, and and each one is guy. a
1: solid friggin' body blow to yeah. software patents, right? Yeah, it's,
0: totally, totally. So we, we can go through the four and, and again, sort of avoiding the nitty gritty. But yeah. but you know, the first one is basically just that the 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 scope of the the granted patents exceeds the the sort of benefit of the disclosure or sort of what is disclosed, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, the the original point of the patent system and what some people still claim is the point of the patent system is disclosure, right? You you get it in exclusivity. Um, but he said it in a very
1: particular way. And every programmer who's ever gotten a patent has said the same thing. And what is the thing he said, Mike? He said, why you know not why, but he said patents, software patents don't disclose any source code. <laughs> right. And every every program in the world that I've ever written a patent for has said, I don't have to give you source code? Like they're like surprised, <laughs> right? Because they know he they know very well They would never, if they needed to make a new software system, if there's no source code, they sure as hell aren't going to read an English description. Of some algorithm and then try to backport that into something implementable right and they're certainly not going to use legalese to figure it out so the software patent disclosure is completely useless no software engineer i have ever met in my entire life has gone through (laughs) all patent filing to figure out how to do something it's nonsense you go to github you go to maybe academic papers right it's and and he nailed it judge Mayer nailed it
0: yeah, 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 totally, and, and and so I'll I'll give you the straight quote from from the the opinion, which is says software patents typically do not include any actual code developed by the patentee, but instead describe in intentionally vague and broad language a particular <laughs> oh, no, goal did or, it. or objective. Oh no, he literally,
1: he <laughs> literally, <laughs> he like snapped, he slapped down our entire profession there. He's yeah, like, yeah, intentionally vague and meaningless garbage. That's <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah, intentionally vague and broad language. Was was, that was what he said and, and he
1: was i had no idea he was a chief justice huh this is yeah. like this is the this is like when your own mom writes you like an email, like, I'm so disappointed in you, Hirsch. Like, what? No,
0: I never raised the sun to do this kind of
1: thing. It's like that. It's like you guys are writing vague and bullshit like this.
0: Yeah. And, and he even, so he, he even calls out an example from one of the patents. He's like, for example, in this particular patent, discusses the objective of screening computer data for viruses before communicating the computer data to an end user. And he says, but it fails to disclose any specific inventive guidance for achieving that goal. It just basically talks about the idea. And so he's like, it, it describes a desirable destination, but neglects to provide any intelligible roadmap for getting there. So.
1: And, and I think as a practicing patent attorney, I, sh- I should say something about this. Okay, There are ways to write patents in which you disclose a huge amount of detail and you claim around that detail. And yeah. guess what? Those patents never get litigated. You know <laughs> right. why? And they never get licensed because nobody ever infringes them because <laughs> right. you can work around them so easily when you put that much technical detail in right? Like you can just move around it. And that's why patent attorneys do this very vague and broad stuff, right? They're trying to prevent their clients' uh, patents from being completely worthless, right? Because you can just engineer around them if you put too much detail in. Um, and, and that's, that's essentially why they do it. And, um, Anyways, go
0: on. I'm not yeah. going to go into more. No, no problem. Okay. So that was the first the first reason he gave. The second reason is one that I've uh, argued about for a really long time, which is that he basically says that it the, the incentives are all screwed up because you're basically giving uh, giving the patent at what he says is the idea stage rather than the actual execution stage. And so uh, it's, I'm trying, the actual language is because they are typically obtained at the idea stage before any real inventive work has been done. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, so, <laughs> such patents are incapable of effectively incentivizing meaningful advances in science and technology. The idea stage. Let me tell you some anecdotes about that. <laughs> Go for it
1: this is completely the experience of every patent attorney right when you go to work with a a, go to if you have a big company client typically what happens is the programmers and engineers don't have unlimited time so what they do is uh they'll call you to a room and then they'll you'll have a bunch of the clients engineers come in and they'll disclose a bunch of stuff to you right Mm -hmm. and the experience of every patent attorney is like this the inventors will come in into the room and start disclosing stuff and you'll be like oh well this is you know there's a bunch of prior art in this area how about differentiating it, this and that you'll essentially with them in the room they'll be like inventing stuff they'll be like oh we should do it this way then let's claim it this way like it's not like they put a whole bunch of effort in to the stuff that you're, you're you're patenting instead it's more like they have this meeting where they're just like coming up de novo what they need to patent in order to cover what their competitors might do ten years down the line, do you see right. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah and, yeah, and that's a smart way to do it in terms of the way the legal system is set up. It's like it's it disincentivizes actually, uh, or not that it disincentivizes it, but it, it sort of makes it meaningless to like spend you know a year doing something and and then patenting something, right? At least in the software space, you're much better served kind of uh just sitting in a room and imagining where the industry is going and then just laying sort of patent bombs there yep,
0: yep right
1: yeah and uh, and uh that's not to say that people don't write the the second sort of patents the kind where you know you very you work on something for like you know 10 years probably not 10 years in software but like a year and then you go to a patent attorney like hey i made this amazing system like how can we patent it people certainly do that right uh, but then the thing that comes out from that again is the very broad patent that we were talking about before, because yeah. if they patent the very specific stuff, it's not very enforceable. And, uh, uh, well, let's go on to the next point. Let's not.
0: Yeah, well, let me here. finish this yeah. one. I'm not yeah. even done with this one yet because there's still some more good stuff in here. So he's still talking about that because he talks about, you know, idea stage. and But then he says, because of that, basically, uh, <laughs> literally, this is what he says under our current regime, those who scamper to the PTO early, <laughs> love that line. often equipped with little more than vague notions about using computers to automate well known business and social practices, can reap hefty financial dividends. By contrast, those who actually create Create and deploy useful computer-centric products are rewarded, and he puts rewarded in quotes, with, mam- with mammoth potential infringement liability. And yeah, so that on. is,
1: what a colossal slapdown.
0: And here, you know, anecdotally go
1: out there and look. In the first days of kind of this massive expansion of software patents, what uh, patent attorneys used to do is they would get um, software clients and file some uh, patents for them. And those software clients, uh, some of them would go out of business and their patents would get trolled. And then what the uh, patent attorney started to realize is, is like, why don't we just get rid of the middleman? Yeah. The software guys. Because we can invent this kind of vague stuff ourselves. <laughs> totally. And you look at the filings now in new industries, right? No matter what the industry is, you'll find a bunch of filings where the inventor is the attorney himself. Yeah. And there's been some egregious cases where the inventor, that, some big company gets sued and then it turns out that like the inventors are some software uh, you know, patent attorneys that had done some work for them. And had written some patents. And then yep. those patents get sold on to some uh, other entity who then comes back and sues this company. And how does that happen? Well, you get very familiar as a patent attorney with software in a particular space or a particular industry. And then it's not so hard for you to kind of figure out which way that industry is going and then go make some filings there. It's a yep. way to get rich as a patent attorney if um, if you are... Uh, well, can I use a harsh word if you are uh unscrupulous, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. I mean, uh, I, the only thing that stops you from doing that is scruples. There's no yep. legal reason yep. you can't do that. Yeah. Um and there's there's a lot of times where like, you know, people have asked me, like, why don't you just like write a bunch of patents in this in this area? Like you know it really well. Like, you know and you know, honestly the only reason not to do that is like the shame.
0: Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I and I, I, I have uh uh uh, well, a neighbor of mine who who is a is a patent attorney who works on defending mm-hmm. uh, patents and is often in you know down in in Texas defending stuff and uh, and he was saying yeah you know there are times where it's tempting right I mean you you I know it's basically like like imagine you know a just an ordinary civilian
1: citizen like you know if, if there was just it doesn't take long to write a patent right yeah like, you can write one and maybe. Let's say, you know, just focus on it a day or two, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't take very long. Um, shorter than that if you already have the idea in your head. So, you know, the filing fees, if you do it as an individual, are low. Yeah. If you really wanted to over a month, you could probably file like 20 of these. Right. Right? And, uh, and then not all of them are going to be successful. But even if just a few are, in that you can make hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you're very lucky, you might make millions. Yeah. Right. Uh, The return rate, you know, well, I'm not in a position to say what the return rate is on these kind of garbage patents. But if you certainly look at the ones that are litigated and, and or have been litigated and in the past or at least in the 2000s got huge returns, the claims or just, you know, just read the claims for the IV patents here. Yeah. You know, and anybody just, you know, I welcome you to go read it. It's, it's understandable to any programmer or, you know, to anyone who knows anything about the Internet. It's just English language stuff that says things like, you know, receiving a message from a guy, you know, sending an email, checking if it has a virus, if it has a virus, you know, running a business rule on it. You know what I mean? Like,
0: these were filed in 1997
1: or something, right? Like sitting then or 1999, whatever it is. Yeah, I remember the exact. If you were just
0: data. to ask any, basically any program, put them in a room and say, "How would you create an, a, a virus scanning system?" What would they it would look say? Like? These it, w- it would be this, right? So there's there's no like you know the whole idea also like you're supposed to only grant patents to things that are non obvious to people who actually mm-hmm. understand this stuff, and and so you know th- this at, at, this one is of, obvious. One of the things that Judge
1: Merritt doesn't. Um, explicitly talk about, but I uh-huh. think you know is worth introducing into the patent system. You know, apart from sort of a fair use kind of a defense, is a defense ab- about sort of obviousness yeah. based on independent invention. Yeah, if this, two this three is this is ten, my
0: yeah. I, this if, if is ten
1: companies. R- do yeah. the same thing independently and haven't been talking to each other it's a strong indication that they independently invented it like yes podcasting for example yes right? this, that is, this is this is yeah patent?
0: which is still being litigated by the way but God. this is this is something that i've argued for the longest time which is that independent invention should be seen should be an indication of obviousness and it should invalidate patents but nobody seems to want to argue it and i brought it up to to patent lawyers and to academics and even to some judges and and people are just like eh, that's not the way our system works. Which is like I bet infuriating. you Lemley would agree with you. Uh, I don't know. I, I should ask him. I don't think I've ever asked him directly about it. Anyways, so uh, just the the one final point on this one. This is number two of his four ideas. He, he describes this as creating a perverse incentive scheme. And it's yep. incredible the language that he's using is great. Yeah it's 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 yeah. I mean it's like I said man, it's
1: like your mom slapping you down. <laughs> or, your, or your or your grandpa, right? Your your good old hard working farmer grandpa making fun of you for being like a hedge fund derivative trader you know, right? <laughs> like, right. oh, your guys are so slimy with the stuff you do the stuff you yeah. disgust me you know but but then again you know i i've had all these thoughts when i thought he was some like fresh uh, you know, bushy tail judge, first time on this. But I'm sorry, I had no idea he was the chief justice from, uh, yeah. from the 2000s. But yeah. uh, I, I guess it makes it even better, though.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. So, okay, so the, the third the third point that he makes is that um, the, uh, software patents have been so widely granted that it basically creates a massive patent thicket and makes it impossible to innovate. Um, oh, God, Yes. <laughs> Oh God! So, so the specific text here says yet another intractable intractable problem with software patents is their sheer number, Uh blah blah blah. And says, given the vast number of software patents, oh gosh, uh, most of which are replete with broad functional claims, it is virtually impossible to innovate in any technological field without being ensnared by the patent thicket. Yes, and then. I mean- one more point, and then then we can then you can you can exclaim <laughs> he says software patents impose a dead weight loss on the nation's economy, erecting often insurmountable barriers to innovation and forcing companies to expend exorbitant subs, defending against meritless infringement suits
1: oh my god, the d word the dead weight loss <laughs> word right like <laughs> like man, it's so. I I keep saying this. It's so amazing that the chief justice, the former chief (laughs) justice of, of the federal circuit would say these things because like isolated patent attorneys have been saying this, right? In, yeah sure like silicon valley and certainly non attorneys who like you know obviously understand the business even better than attorneys have been saying it for the longest time but but this is like deadweight loss it's just <laughs> nonsense going on and and the legal field is getting paid and not uh, not it, like how does it actually sim, you know st- stimulate the economy to actually produce more stuff it's that's not what is happening uh this that that phrase deadweight <laughs> loss like i really think it's it's one of those like very important uh, like sort of like almost uh, economic jargony type of a thing uh-huh. that that makes ears perk up right? because, <laughs> because other places yeah. where we where we see the word deadweight loss right it's, it's various sorts of like uh, uh, of horrible uh, economic rents right and when I say rents here I mean it in sort of the economic sense you know a rent is something where someone extracts uh, a payment out of a ecosystem yeah. uh, without sort of providing any benefit to other people right like it's uh yeah. so yeah so you hear this word dead rate loss when it comes to rents and and where do you see these rents you see rents uh you know and deadweight loss brought up in 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 the case of of such obviously insane economic things like uh you know subsidies for sugar beets you know <laughs> right. uh, like you know what i mean like these these things that are obviously bad but we just can't get rid of right like that's where that phrase pops up yeah. its head um yeah it's it, it, it's it's terrible man it um and and for the for the for the Chief Justice to say that is is like amazing.
0: Let's go to the next point. Though. Okay, so then the the final point he says uh, fourth and most fundamentally, generically implemented software invariably lacks the concrete borders that patent law demands, and so the the point that he's making here is is just like you know you're creating this this you know boundary this exclusivity, and for that to work it needs to be properly bounded so people know whether or not they're infringing, and so is, is <laughs> says. Uh, uh, well, there's this weird aside from Gertrude Stein and it's bizarre, but then it says uh, an applicant has a, uh, has a right to obtain a patent only if he can describe with reasonable clarity the meets and bounds of his invention and uh, and basically says that patents don't have that. And then, this is interesting, says, software, however, is akin to a work of literature or a piece of music undeniably important, but too unbounded, that is too abstract, to qualify as a patent-eligible invention.
1: I don't know if I necessarily agree with this last point. Okay. Um, and I don't think it's necessary for the end goal of abolishing software patents, right? It, I think... Uh, it's it's a harder thing to defend, and I, ca- I can see where he's coming from, but certainly, you know, there'd be a way of doing software patents. It's not now done that way, but you could certainly think of a way to do software patents where they are still broad, but they're well-defined, right? Like, it's
0: possible, yeah, yeah, but I mean, there, there have been, I mean, there have been entire books written about the fact that, you know, the key problem with, with, with patents is that, you know you have no idea what is and what is not infringing i mean most cases where you're you know where someone is being told that they're infringing on a patent one they have no idea that the patent exists and two they often don't even know how they could possibly infringe on it
1: so so i can i can tell you of a scheme right like where we could we would dispense with this fourth op- uh, you know problem mm-hmm. but still be stuck with the with the a, a, a painful patent system for software right which is to say you would need to specify the software the patented software um in some kind of a a a, 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 defi- a definition language right mm-hmm. where you could like you know like let's, let's just call it like a pseudocode right and the pseudocode is like well defined it's not english right so it's kind of like in a, in a very formalized Uh, idealized programming language Uh, you know you you specify what your algorithm is and then if you want to check if someone's infringing it they can just run a tool against it with their own software and it'll just tell you hey this software essentially is equivalent to this patented algorithm and so therefore you infringe right so you you could you could figure out a way to kind of do that and it would still be nonsense though right (laughs) because because uh, you know just because something is well-defined doesn't mean it's still good to allow a patent or a monopoly on it, right? Sure. For the, sure, all the sure. other reasons we were saying, because obviousness yeah, yeah, yeah. and all these other things. I think it's and, a... and, and And I think, you know, even if we solved one this one-fourth problem, if we solved it, the problem of software patents wouldn't go away. Whereas yeah. the other ones, if we solved them, I think any one of them, the problem would go away. If we solved the obviousness problem... Mm-hmm. Problem would go away, right? Yeah, if, yeah, if, yeah if, totally. if, You know, and I we, mean, I've
0: argued, I've argued like the, the thing that you brought up before, uh, that like literally that the one change of uh, letting independent invention be a defense and also being a sign of obviousness, I think that would solve almost every, every problem I can think problem. of yes. <laughs> with, with the patent exactly. system. Exactly.
1: And, and uh, um, what was his other points? You know, refresh me again now. So the first one was um, uh,
0: scope exceeds disclosure. Yeah. Was the first. The second was. And uh, you know
1: how that would solve it, right? The reason fixing that would solve the patent system is because mm-hmm. these troll cannot disclose anything that's non-trivial right it's it, it's the the their effort would be the effort required to launch the business which they don't want to do it's right. not economically feasible they would need to write functional code they can't do that right they have no capability to do it the people who work for them are a bunch of hacks they don't know how to write <laughs> software that's where they're sitting there trolling people right yep. so if you if you put that in the economic sort of things doesn't make sense anymore for trolling yep. now what's the other one that you were saying
0: uh, the other the the other things, or yeah, the, sec- yeah, the second yeah the, the second one was the the idea stage instead of implementation means that um, you're sort of disincentivizing the actual hard work of implementation,
1: yeah, so that's kind of the he's criticizing an end result, but there isn't really a way to.
0: Well, you know, I could see if if you're doing, you know, if if you're doing it dovetails dove back into the first thing, then right? sure, sure,
1: you would have to have an implementation, right? You so would, you, right? You would have to have it. an implementation,
0: mm-hmm. and also, if you did the implementation totally uh, ignorant of the patent, then you wouldn't be blocking that anymore, right? Because you could just argue independent invention. So you would solve that that perverse incentive oh, mm-hmm. where you're punishing right. those who actually mm-hmm. implement. Um anyways. And then the third one is, is just the patent thicket issue, which again, yeah. if you have independent invention, yeah, that's, that's a result of the patent yeah, exactly. So anyways, so so we, we should wrap up here. But but the, the final thing that, that he sort of comes around on is it says, you know, declaring that software implemented on a generic computer falls outside of Section 101, which is whether or not it's patentable, would provide much needed clarity and consistency in our approach to patent eligibility, and it would end the semantic gymnastics of trying to bootstrap software into the patent system by alleging that it offers a specific method of filtering internet content, which is sort of mocking the, the particular patent. Uh, in this case and so basically saying like look we should just admit that that software is not patentable and he says eliminating generically implemented software patents would clear the patent thicket ensuring the patent uh, protection promotes rather than impedes the onward march of science yeah so it's it's you know it is there's a reason why people are like so amazed by this particular concurring opinion. I mean, it'll be interesting now to see what happens next, right? I mean, intellectual ventures could appeal. They could ask the Supreme Court to, to hear it. Um, and then who knows what happens? You know, I think the Supreme Court, I doubt the Supreme Court would take it. I don't think there's anything particularly novel about this particular question. And if they did, um, I, I think I saw something recently that the Supreme Court, um, there were 10 different cases that were brought that were recently. Um, uh, people asked the Supreme Court to to review uh, patent uh, subject eligibility questions, and the Supreme Court refused to hear any of them uh, in in this latest session. So, um, you know, I don't think that the Supreme I think Court just is
1: bored of going over it. They've already yeah. said what they had to say on it.
0: Yeah, but I still I still think that,
1: like, you know, given how the Federal Circuit has been acting up until this decision, yeah, uh, you know, did they know this decision was coming out when they denied cert on all those? Those um
0: i have no idea
1: okay but because it, it, i don't think they did at the time no of I don't think so. but um if if, if if you know if things were standing the way they were prior to getting this decision from the federal circuit I, I i certainly would have been disappointed right because i would have been like come on although you guys have laid out the kind of the law the federal circuit is certainly not doing what your intention was they're following maybe the letter of the law but not the yeah. spirit right um
0: yeah, no, so. but this is I mean this is this is huge and I think, you know, we'll we'll see it come up and it'll it'll be mentioned. I mean, it doesn't have direct precedential value, but mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that it will be quoted um in a, in a bunch of well, things. And one thing we really didn't get to
1: and we've been spending all this time is like do we actually think this is going to have a material change on the amount of software patents and the outcomes of cases themselves? That are being litigated? Well,
0: I think it's it is at the very least it's it's signaling that, that uh, at least one fairly important judge at the federal circuit <laughs> uh, has clearly recognized that the problem of software patents. And so I think that makes it a little bit harder to expect that the, the federal circuit is going to be the sort of rubber stamp on, on patents as it ha- has been in the past.
1: Wow, that's gonna be so amazing. Like if there's so, <laughs> there there's an anti-software patent wing in the in, in the court, you know? Yeah uh,
0: it'll be be interesting. So I don't know. But we've also gone on way longer than way we normally long, yeah. do. Uh yeah. and I have to run. So um <laughs> uh, unless you have any sort of final thoughts on this. Let's let's
1: wrap it up. I think yeah.
0: I mean I think that but it is it is a really, really interesting ruling if you haven't or opinion, if you haven't read it. Um you should it is very readable i mean i, I think I read off a lot of the, the really quotable parts, but um yeah
1: Mike Mike you'll put up a link for everybody right? yeah yeah,
0: yeah, yeah I'll have a a link and uh and uh but yeah it's it's quite a quite an opinion and it's it's definitely uh raising some eyebrows and waking some people up around the whole software patent question, mm-hmm. so it's a big deal cool, all right. Well, uh thanks for, for joining me and and it's a topic that you could really dig into, Hirsch. Yep. <laughs> all right. Man. So, all right. And thanks everyone for listening Bye, guys. and we'll be back next week.
1: Bye.